Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here so they can be celebrated. Right now with me, I have one of my big influences in the world of radio. If you grew up in Central North Carolina, along with Northeastern North Carolina, you know this man's voice all too well. He's been around and all over, and mainly... You heard him on The Quiet Storm on K97.5. So, ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause for Mr. Thomas, the Thrill Hill. Thomas, thank you for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover. Thank you so much for being on the Beyond the Album Cover. You know, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you on tonight. Oh, uh, man, I appreciate it. The pleasure's all mine. I grew up listening to K97, so I just look forward to sharing radio stories with you and just hearing about your career and the changes in media. I'm just all about learning. And I'm sure the listeners yeah. are too. Well, you know, it's, it's a drastic change, but at the same time, in order to continue to do and participate in this field, we got to be... All right, go ahead. It must have got stuck again. Yeah. Yeah. So tell the people how you got your start in radio. Well, actually, I started in radio when I was 14. It all started uh, as a young boy uh, with an, a keen interest in walkie-talkies. I was always fascinated about uh, with voices ever since I was a little bitty boy. And so I always... Uh, I always said, I wonder if I grew up, would I have a voice, a big voice like that? And to be completely honest with you, I never noticed it because when you're around yourself and when you're dealing with yourself, you never pay attention to what some other people make you pay attention to. Uh, so a lot of times it just depends about, really depends on how comfortable you are in your own skin. Mm -hmm. Now you started off at the entry level position in radio, I started in this position as well, and that's the position of board operator. So explain for those that are not familiar with radio, what the position of board operator entails and what station did you cut your teeth at? Um, the thing about board operators is, is knowing how to, in the very beginning, let's go back because I'm 61 years of age, you know, the time I came up, uh, like I said, I was 14, so we're talking about the mid-70s. Uh, most boards had, they looked like dials, like you turn the dials, okay? And uh, they weren't slide just like they are now. You know, it's, it's, turn, it's just like turn the knob, turn it off, turn it on, just almost like, you know, you're in your shower, you turn your water on one direction, you turn it off the other direction. But uh, board operators were, that was your opportunity to learn how to transition between songs, transition between breaks. Uh, it, it's bas basically what they call engineering, learning how to work the board. Um, in the times in which I came up, you didn't have engineers. Now, some of the bigger stations in the bigger markets had an engineer that did all that stuff. And a guy, the talent sat in the room and he just, all he did was just do all the talking and, and transitions. But when I was coming up, you had to learn how to do it yourself because if you learn how to become a board operator, naturally you're going to transition to be an on-air talent. And so uh, that was something that, that was, was a natural progression. It was something that was taught to me when I was 14. I didn't know exactly. I saw exactly. Uh, my influences was my godfather, who was a local uh, radio celebrity. Uh, his name was Bob Rogers. And... Um, I would see him do it, and I was always curious about wanting to do it myself. I think the thing that I was interested about it the most was that you would sit in a room by, by yourself, and it was an opportunity to challenge yourself to see if you could be the best that you could be. Uh, a lot of it, you know, uh, I didn't really. My, my goal was really not to be on the on the on the air. My goal was actually to just come up, cut commercials, and uh, do trailers for movies. So I started at fourteen at a local radio station, which now still exists here. The call letters are different, but the call letters back then were. WCPE was a non, uh, it was a uh, classical nonprofit radio station. 
50,000 watts, uh, 89.7, never forget it. And that's why I, I got my chops a year later after they, I, I trained as a board operator. They then put me on the on Sundays doing a classical jazz show. And from there, um, I just took off. In addition to running the board people as a board op, you're going to be learning how to do transmitter logs. And back during that time, it was frequent where almost every on-air break you get, you would do a time and a temperature check. Oh, yeah. A lot of basic fundamental things still exist in radio. Uh, the fact of the matter now that because it's so syndicated, uh, it, it's not as personable uh, to a certain region and where people stay at. That's the only thing I don't like about it now. It's more uh, worldwide. A lot of folks are affected in different ways in different communities. And that was the uniqueness about radio uh, back in the time when I came along. Um, you know, once I left uh, high school, I started working for an R&B station outside of Raleigh, down on town called Goldsboro, North Carolina, and then uh, briefly worked for a radio station. I had forgotten about that down in Kinston, uh, WQDW, a uh, host of individuals I was able to meet uh, that worked down there. Briefly, these were all brief stints. Uh, once I graduated from college, I worked for a, a Cherbin radio station down in Charlotte, North Carolina, left there. Uh, went to Atlanta, V103, left there, went to GCI in Chicago. These were brief stints. I was never there that long, uh, mainly because my mother had health issues. And I left uh, GCI, went to D.C. And when I was in D.C., uh, I was there briefly and uh, found out my mother's conditions were worsening. I came back home. I stayed there. That was in 85, 83, excuse me. And she passed in 85. It was one of the greatest decisions that I ever made coming back home. And it was interesting to come back home after leaving the area, not being known for really actually anything because I was doing so many things undercover. I wasn't doing anything in this market. So when I came back home, it was interesting uh, to hear people say that they had heard about me in this market and that market and they were somewhere and they knew it was me and they just, they said, you know, it can't be the same time I said, I grew up with blah, 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 you know? so. I mean, you know, for me, it was just a love of what I enjoyed doing. And that was being able to communicate and not only that, but entertain and also hopefully put some smiles on people's faces. Right. And that was the mentality that I tried to take in myself when I got into the radio industry was just to treat it like you're talking to a friend or a family member and influences such as yourself, Cy Young, Don Cornelius, Donnie Simpson, Wolfman Jack, Casey Kasem, list goes on and on. Radio is a skill, it is an art. Now, when you got recruited by K97, did you take the traditional approach where you had your reels and they listened to your air check or was it sight unseen or was it kind of like referred? Well, I'll tell you a little interesting story. I, I used to work for AM uh, station in the same market as K97.5 WLLE. It was a heritage AM radio station in the Raleigh-Durham market. Um, and that's where my godfather actually worked at. That's where I saw him work at. I saw him uh, operate in. And I had one day wanted to have the opportunity to work at that radio station myself. So uh, fast forward to 1988, I was able to, uh, to start working at LLE. Uh, and I got there and they were 26 in the market. Uh, the ownership were the Monroes and and uh, they asked me, would I be interested in programming this radio station and, and helping them get to a point where at least they sound a little bit better than what they were. And it wasn't that they were bad then. It's just that they needed to get some, they needed some discipline. So I came in and unfortunately I had to work with some friends of mine uh, and notice I said the word friends uh, who knew me on one side, but didn't know this part of me. They didn't know how passionate I was about what I did. And so they expected for me to be their friend when in fact I had to be program director. So I had to send some very sound messages to them. And I'm not one of those program people that do a whole lot of arguing and fussing and fighting. I just basically told them, okay, this is what's going on. Uh, and then if you can't do it, then don't worry about it. It'll get done. And in some instances I would do their shifts. I would do my shift, which I would come in the morning and I would do, um, um, on uh, the morning drive 
And then I would go home and take a lunch break because we had a guy who did gospel to two o'clock. I'd go take me a lunch break, come back home, do the afternoon drive and do, do the, the, uh, the seven to midnight shift as well. Because I wanted them to understand, it ain't no thing. This is what I love to do. So if this is what y'all want to do, I'll do this until I can get some help. And so I was doing it too well and still they start, they start humbling themselves. And they started realizing, so we got all became disciplined. And, and I didn't ask no nothing from anybody that I didn't no more want from, expect from myself. So um, we, we became disciplined. We became a unified unit. And in, in short of two books, we went from number 26 to number 10 in the market. Now, in the meantime, uh, Cy Young had come into the marketplace and he was programmed to write that WQOK. He had just come from Washington, D.C. himself. And um, I didn't know Cy no more than uh, a conversation, several conversations we had had on the phone. Uh, we, you know, he was getting kind of, you know, locked into the city. You know, his family had moved from here, his wife and his, his uh, daughter at the time. Uh, they had just moved here. And so he was more focused on trying to get settled in and try to assemble a team of people he felt like he could work with, that he could respect, and that, that would be able to see uh, an opportunity for all of us to collectively work as a team. And, and, and to be honest with you, he, he, he ensembled a team that was second to none. Um, he had himself in the morning, uh, signing on the wake up patrol. Then he had uh, a guy named Waxmaster Tory who ended up leaving here um, and went out West and started working in a major market out West. And uh, then he became ill and then he passed, he's deceased. Um, but then they had uh, another guy to replace him named Anthony Cruz, who lives in North Carolina. And he was in the Rocky Mountain area. Awesome, awesome air talent. And then we had uh, none other than Chris Connors, uh, who did the afternoon drive. And then we had a guy named Dr. John, who did, did 7 to Midnight. He did regular format from 7 to 9 and then the Quiet Storm until um, he did the Quiet Storm on, on – uh, it was Sunday through Sunday through Thursday. And so, um, you know, I came on board, you know, Sidat began to talk. Uh, he began to respect what I had done with the AM station uh, across town. He saw how I positioned myself between him and Fox at the time with co competitors. And uh, what I did is I just fed off of their energy. And then what they wouldn't play, I played. And certain cuts I played that they would not play. Uh, certain versions, I can play a little bit longer versions of certain songs and I play album cuts, but they were, they were things that I felt like was good music that already complemented what we had already formatted anyway. So, um, and these were things my godfather taught me. So we turned it around just like that. So Sina had become good phone friends. And so on uh, October the 18th, I'll never forget in 1989, uh, 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 a article came out in the local newspaper and uh, the writer had said uh, that it was very surprising that uh, LLE went from number uh, 26 in the market to number 10. And the morning show that was a 1.3 went to a 4.1 was too hard to believe. And I was doing the morning show. Uh, it, and all of that was due to uh, what I had been taught what I had learned, and then learning to find that, that middle ground, who I was as a person on the air. I, I didn't really want to be, you know, this loud, boisterous person. I just wanted to be uh, smooth, laid back, and, uh, and, and, and make as many, le as, as less possible mistakes as I could possibly when I opened that microphone. And, uh, and I was fortunate to do that. So, uh, to get to that, that same day that I quit at that other radio station. Shai gave me a call. He had called over the radio station. They told me, he said, he just quit. Soon as I was walking in my apartment door, I heard the phone ringing, and it was him. And uh, he said, hey. He said, why don't you come on out and let's eat lunch? So uh, I went out, and I ended up going to lunch with him, Chris Connors, and uh, Dr. John. And we sat there for about which was a three hour lunch and just talked about radio. Just talked about radio, the changes and the shifts in radio. 
uh, they want to ask questions. What was I? What was I doing? Or whatever. That little AM radio station that was making all that noise, and uh, and I was telling them that you know I was just listening to them, and I would fix my format clocks so that while while they were going into a stop set, I was playing music. So I always thought that way. My brain has always been kind of, you know, kind of anal when it came to that. It's just I had a certain feel for it. So. Um, we went to lunch. Like I said, it was about a two or three hour lunch date. I went back up to the office. He hired me on the spot. He hadn't gave me no paperwork or anything. He hired me without talking to the general manager. And it caused a slight stink because there was a, a young lady that worked that I worked with that uh, when I was working at another radio station, she was the general manager and she was not a good person to work with because she was very controlling. And so, you know, some people don't like uh, when you come to a situation, they, they won't have anything positive to say. They have something negative to say. And so, so I stood up for me. And that's one of the things I, I respect to him to this day. He stood up for me. He says, I believe in this guy. He says, this guy's proven himself in this marketplace. And uh, in the end, they end up firing her for some stuff that she got into. So um, I got there. I started working in promotions. I didn't immediately go on there. Um, I, um, I did the quiet storm on Sunday nights for, for a while until uh, ownership changed hands. Uh, the owner, who was an attorney out of Philadelphia, uh, and, and the name of his radio group was U.S. Radio. Uh, and... Um, he sent his godson down here to run QOK. He had run some of his other properties and had been quite successful. So they sent him down as general manager. And he was in town for two weeks. And he, the first Sunday he got in town, he listened to the radio station and I was on. And when he heard me, he just was outdone. And then he looked to hear me uh, a couple of nights after that, he didn't hear me. So he would listen to the radio station. He loved to talk to bottom, what, uh, the presentation, the, the, the professionalism, you know, because we were all professionals. You know, we, we came in, it was all about, you know, execution and sounding crisp. Um, and so he met with all of us and he says, normally I go into a radio station and I start firing people. Uh, he said, but we've got a great nucleus here. Let's build on this. And so uh, I worked in promotions, but John was determined uh, to not <laughs> let me be in promotions. He wanted me on the air. And so they were trying to figure out um, what they could do. Uh, could they possibly uh, maybe um, uh, let John work from seven to nine or even start doing being on the air from six to nine. And then I come and do the quiet storm from nine to one. Uh, in any event, uh, some other circumstances happened. Uh, and John had to leave us, and then they tried two other people. Uh, but it was the it was side that wanted to try them because he just he just uh, uh, he was trying to look at it from a different other standpoint. He also knew that I was burned out from where I had come from, so uh, I wasn't in no rush for them to push me in that position. So uh, and so he you know he was able to defend it off, and then. Uh, what ended up happening, Chris Connors ended up taking a job at Foxy 107. And at that time, our sales staff uh, that was at QOK, they had departed and one of the, the general sales managers became the general manager at Foxy. And so uh, Chris had a great relationship with him. He asked him to come over and be his program director. Chris did. Uh, and they were afraid. Well, actually, John Broomfield was afraid that they were going to recruit me. And they had already started talking to me. But John and I had a real good relationship. Uh, I respected him tremendously. Uh, he told me what he wanted to do. He told me what kind of money he wanted to give me. He was a man of his word. He made it happen. And from that point on, um, it was like a light switch with me. Uh, once I got on the air, uh, I was very confident, not conceited. There's a big difference. Mine taught me that a long time ago. It's a big difference between being conceited and being confident. And I was just confident on the radio. I was confident nobody in the marketplace could do what I did from nine o'clock at night to one o'clock in the morning. And I just believed that it was all about uh, serenading people to sleep, uh, relaxing them after a long day. There was no telling what they had been dealing with. Maybe even in a love situation where they didn't really know exactly you know, 
where that situation had them. Because, you know, when you're in love, man, your emotions are all over the place. And so what I try to do is be like a psychiatrist sometimes, uh, 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 sometimes a mediator. Uh, and then sometimes I get in trouble, you know, because it really kind of was based on every night when I came in, uh, like telling the story each night. And uh, the success of the Quiet Storm was so successful that for about, I'd say about almost a year and a half, two years, it was number one uh, rated show in the marketplace. Wow. That yeah. is crazy. And we're going to be using a lot of radio lingo. So, Thomas had mentioned a stop set. So I'm going to explain to you that are not in radio what a stop set is. Stop set is pretty much kind of like your commercial breaks. They can either come at 15 past the hour, 30 past the hour, depending on how your program director has their clock set. And then they'll go into what is called a stop set buster, where it would be a smooth transition from the song into your stop set. So now, as far as counter-programming goes, how did K97 counter-program what was going on with Foxy, G105 out in the Raleigh-Durham market, and then at Power 97 out of Greensboro, which Cy told me that they were coming in so strong, the PD there was calling him saying, y'all are blasting in my studio. Well, um, one of the things we did was, some of, it, was it was basically Cy, but suggestions from me and Chris, uh, modifications for going into these stop sets that you just mentioned, uh, which were our commercial breaks. Uh, it's where, where we pay the bills, is what we used to call it, paying the bills. Uh, let me go ahead and pay the bills. Um, and we would cheat the stop set, meaning we would go in there earlier. We would look at it from a logistic standpoint. Okay, say for instance, you go in a stop set at 10, 10 till, 10 pass. Okay, what we do is going in an eight pass because we already know just like clockwork, you're going to be in that stop set. So we cheat the stop set. And even though it may be a minute, we are already playing commercials and probably at the same time. But, but by the time they turn back to us again, we're playing music. While you're talking, we're jamming, you know. So a lot of those things were just things that we did, you know, just looking at the marketplace, uh, choice of music selection had a lot to do with it. You know, at that time, you know, rap hadn't really taken off. It was just beginning to come into its uh, uh, own uh, and began to be a, a, a category within itself. Um, and so we were one of the stations that were playing, but go out and let place certain songs. Uh, but they had such an RB flavor. That's why it had a lot of rap artists singing on uh, uh, mainstream uh, peoples and it got to be it got to be a very popular but then it began to kind of drown a lot of stuff out eventually because now it's got so now you're lucky if you can sing on a rap song as opposed to them you know collaborating with you on their songs but anyway um, you know things were so different then and strategy was different now they've got consultants. Now you've got multiple stations owned by one corporation and they have a corporate program director. And, and most times I'm just being, keeping it real, that program director has no real identifying connection with the music. They just going on research. They don't have no real identifiable, uh, 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 something that basically would point to them with them having a various knowledge. So it's become a numbers game and mainly because what used to be something that was a service to the community now has become a cash cow. Right. And the one thing that I found very interesting about radio before the telecom act of 96 was that if you look at the old trades, like your billboards, your R&Rs, your BREs, you would see these reports on different radio stations in different regions, given what's hot, what's not, what record is going to peak. And you kind of sort of tweak your playlist based off of what, Station WXYZ is playing in New Orleans or ABCD out in New York or EFG out in California. And then when you would go to the conventions like BRE and Jack the right. Rapper, right. you would see various PDs, MDs, swap stories, and maybe try to think, hmm, how can I counter what they're playing even though they're not in my market? 
it's different because now the record companies run the radio stations. They dictate to what radio stations play. Uh, and when I was coming up, that was a no-no. Okay, uh, you don't come and tell me, especially you know, and it's not being arrogant or being cocky, but it was about trying to create a sound for your community in which you, you know, I grew up, first of all, I grew up in the Raleigh-Durham market. Even though a lot of my, my successes, I was, uh, I had worked in three major markets before I was 25. Um, I wasn't caught up on all of that stuff. I just love what I did. So if I could sit down, as long as I get behind the microphone, I was with it. If I could sit down and cut commercials, I was with it. You know, just being in that atmosphere for me was just like being at home. It's like my second home. And so um, the shift really kind of shifted radio. But but what I was fortunate enough to do once I left QOK, I was able to do uh, go into gospel programming. Now, I had been in gospel programming from 1983 to 86. Uh, but then I went back and for the next 12 years uh, until, my, until I started stopped doing radio officially my last radio station i worked for was in this market in 2009 it was an am gospel radio station i had been there for nine years and i programmed that radio station and there was another gospel radio station that i programmed out of fugue arena that was owned by bishop willis out of norfolk virginia um he had a cluster of stations he had a whole bunch of radio stations but he had a whole bunch of crazy people uh, that could not keep things together. Uh, if he had uh, the right kind of structure, he could have been a force. He could have been Kathy Hughes before Kathy Hughes was Kathy Hughes. But, uh, but, but, but I was able to work with him. He had a couple of stations in North Carolina. He had one in Durham. He had one in Thomasville. He went, had one in Winston-Salem. The one in Thomasville and Winston-Salem, I was a program consultant for those. Uh, and I, I, just, I just ate, breathed, and loved what I did. Um, but in 2000, uh, well, in 1999, uh, our relationship came to an end, same way as it always does. You know, once you get them where they want to be and they feel like that you've kind of put enough things in place, we can take it over from here. We don't need you anymore. And so I didn't have a problem with her. It just so happened. Uh, one, of my, one of my godfather's uh, friends who uh, had still stayed in radio for quite some time, um, he was programming a gospel radio station. It was the last station that I ended up working for. And I went by to see him as I was leaving that job. And we talked for about three or four hours. Uh, some about me sitting down having conversations with my friends. And he said, well, you know, we just got, we just got bought by Curtis Media. And uh, he says, we're going to move the station off of Maywood Avenue over to uh, Highwoods Boulevard. And he says, I want to offer you a job as my afternoon guy and the production director and I said yes because I had been wanting to be production director for the longest time and um, I ended up taking that position uh, he already had a program director a young lady I had worked with before back in 83 uh, and so it was a it was a revisit for her but she was a person who had a complex and so she always thought that people were out to get her uh, that nobody respected her as a program director and, I, and she had a great ear for music, uh, but she had uh, not so much great discipline with people. Um, and of course, they got around until they got up to the president and the owner, and they released her in 2003. Uh, I took over uh, after she left, and I was operations manager, program director, and uh, uh, public affairs director. Um, it was, it was, it was a culmination of all my years of experience, all my years of working, uh, intimately with radio, uh, learning all the things that I had been taught. And so I was able to do things and ended up running this radio station. And I can't say I did it by myself. I have to say by the grace of God, because we had automation software. Um, it was, uh, broadcast electronics. Uh, and it was a program software that basically you could build the clocks uh, and you could build a clock for each day, each clock in that day, any kind of way you wanted to build the clocks. And so I came in and when I first got there, fortunately for me, I had worked part-time when I was working for the gospel station down in uh, 
down in uh, Fuquay Barina, I was working for an a, uh, FM station uh, at the time. They were doing old rock. They were, they called rock rock and roll hits. It was WTRG, which was owned by uh, Clear Channel at the time, and now they're owned by iHeart Radio. Uh, G105, TRG, uh, all those were under that cluster. So I worked there. So I was familiar with the software when I was there. Got a chance to learn how to do the software there. And that's why I learned how to do uh, uh, Adobe uh, Cool Edit. And that's why I learned I cut my chops. I got on that. I saw how it worked. I practiced until I, I perfected it. And it wasn't until I got to Curtis Media and I met, met a guy. Uh, who who and I instantly we clicked and his name was Jack Boston, and uh, Jack Boston uh, taught me even more things on the Adobe Cool Edit. He showed me a lot of things and he helped me put together a demo. I had put a demo together, a uh, voiceover demo for ages, and he helped me put one together. As a matter of fact, I still have that demo. It airs on YouTube, but I just don't. I keep it for sentimental reasons because he died of uh, leukemia. And when I say he was a very dear friend, he was a very dear friend. I knew his sons, I knew him, I knew his wife. Uh, we were very close and uh, it was a great loss for, for, for the people like Curtis Media. But, you know, um, I, 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 I stepped away from radio for a while in 2009. And then uh, around 2010, um, a good friend of mine, who was sports information director at one time was at Shaw and uh, later on had become a sports information director for the MEAC and then a sports information director for uh, Delaware State. For many years, this young man had wanted to see a black network that was covering historically black college sports. And even though BET did cover some of the football games and then uh, Willie Gary had his network uh, that covered some of the, 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 the games. It was not something consistent and it was lacking. And he had been wanting to see it for almost 25, 30 years himself. That's how long he had been in the, the sports information business and working with different universities. And so he and I became, instantly became great friends. He became like a big brother. And uh, when he came into this market, he said to me, hey, um, I need for you to help us, you know, with this network. And uh, I stepped in. I thought they just needed some production work. And it, it, later on, he asked me, would I be program director? And I sit down and talk to the CEO. I got involved with those guys uh, in 2010. Um, and they asked me to be the program director the next year. Uh, currently, we're in the process of uh, starting a network. Uh, we've already had one. We had, Most of our games air on Cirrus XM. Uh, on Saturdays, of course, you, we know that, you know, football is being played sparingly across the country. Uh, but the MEAC, the SWAC, the SIAC, and the CIAA are not having any fall sports. And so uh, otherwise, that would be our genre. But we, we're going to be offering some more programming, some other, uh, um, some other shows uh, that basically will speak to the concerns of our listeners, mainly uh, targeting uh, we all have issues, mental issues, and, you know, uh, it's always been a stigma with the black community about uh, mental health. And so we're going to have a show that's going to be talking about those various things that we need to look for. And, and we shouldn't be ashamed to get any help. Uh, we're going to have some other shows that will be uh, like mentorships. Uh, also uh, talking about the political scene, uh, our CEO, which is Omar Bashir, uh, he uh, is, uh, his brother was an attorney. So we already have a show that's already airing uh, called Raw Law. Plus, one of my very dear friends, uh, a guy I've been working with that I met at HSR, and Mark Gray, uh, is on with uh, uh, Mark Gray's show. Um, and it airs every afternoon at 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock on HSRN.com. Uh, that stands for Heritage Sports Radio Network. Uh, and so that's what I'm doing now. That's currently where I am, and that's what I'm doing. I mean, right now, that seems to be the main thing. Of course, um, I've did some side projects. I still do voiceover work. And I did a, a TV show for the first time in my career. Never did TV. I've done TV commercials, 
but never hosted a show. And so uh, last fall, I had the pleasure of doing a car show with a friend of mine who is the executive producer and producer of the show, uh, Denver Wright. And it's two big guys on cars. You can go see it on YouTube. It's uh, the number two big guys, one word, big guys on cars. And it's kind of funny. You know, when I look at this early, early shows, I'm kind of like, you know, kind of a little stuck, like a deer, you're staring in the headlights. But eventually I got comfortable as each episode went on. It was a really an interesting journey. We went to uh, Burlington, a uh, couple of places across North Carolina. We ended up going up to Pennsylvania to do a story on a car. Uh, a 2017 C8 uh, Corvette. Uh, and so we just had a lot of fun just doing a, a lot. Of, we went down to a track, which is outside of uh, Roanoke Rapids, a racetrack. Uh, we got one in North Carolina, uh, NC car, uh, fabulous uh, facility. Uh, we went down and did some road testing on our first episode of our shows. But, you know, it's just, you know, one thing I'll say about broadcasting, never limit yourself. Never limit yourself. You know, as a broadcaster, just because you were on the air doesn't mean that you can't be on TV. It doesn't mean that you can't do other things re media related. Because I know a lot of my friends that started off uh, doing news um, at local radio stations and then end up doing TV news uh, transition for some. Um, and, you know, it, it just really depends on your passion and your drive for what it is you want to do. Right. And it's funny that you should mention Runner Rapids, North Carolina, because that's my home area, Runner Rapids, Gaston, Lake Gaston area, North Carolina. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, the place is called, it's right outside of Roanoke Rapids. It starts with a G. I'm trying to think. It's a little small town. I mean, it's when I tell you it's a small town, it's like you come right outside of Roanoke Rapids and it's bam. And then you're almost at the Virginia border. It's uh, probably Gaston, Gaston, North Carolina. No, it's not Gaston. It's not Gaston. It's not, it's not Gaston. Um, it's a, I, I should know it because I'm from that area. So yeah, so yeah. I probably it's, know. It's I like probably know. Like going up 95. Oh, like going oh yeah, north. I know you're talking about Garrisburg. Garrisburg, that's it. That's Garrisburg, it. North, Garrisburg, North Carolina. Track, NC track is a big secret that people do not know. It's a huge track. Well, it's not a huge track, but it is a a, a track where you go and do performance tests on cars and uh, it's a huge facility. It sits on about uh, 90 acres of land and I'm telling you when you go out there you'll see eagles, you'll see a beautiful scenery. It's just a real nice facility and we, we're partnering with them right now as we do tests on certain cars. We get ready for a second season as well. So it's just a lot, it's been a lot of fun, man. Just a lot of fun. Just, and I'm still 61. I still just as passionate. Don't look it. About, about radio as I always have been. I still get that same queasiness right before I cut a commercial. So all the elements are there, uh, that are there that make it, uh, something that I still enjoy, uh, being involved with. Right. The one interesting thing about me growing up in that area of Northeastern North Carolina was that I had the pleasure of hearing what was coming out of the Raleigh Durham market with QOK and Foxy G105, but also hearing stations out of Central Virginia, out of the Petersburg Richmond market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had huge stations. Uh, as a matter of fact, I worked briefly for Wowie in Norfolk. Uh, I was young, God. You know, oh my God, man! Are you taking me back now? I mean, I one or two, jam one or three jams, one or three jams, one or three jams. I worked there wow briefly. Worked wow. W O W I. Yeah. That's it. W O W I. Wow, Norfolk, uh, Chesapeake. You know, it, you know, it's, radio is. If you're passionate about it, you can do virtually anything on any level if you're put in the right circumstances, the right situation. You know, um, it's in my blood. I don't know how to do nothing else. I don't love anything as much as I love radio. And fortunately, it's loved me. And I think one of the main reasons why, and you and I talked about this off, off camera, is mainly because I decided to become a broadcaster, not a black broadcaster, but a broadcaster. So I was open to learning as many different things. As far as I was concerned, I could go and I could do country just as well as some of my counterparts. I could do uh, jazz. I could do uh, country and western. I could do rock. I could do CHR. And I did all of them. 
The only formats I never did was Hispanic and News Talk. That's the only two formats. I've done every other format in radio. Right. And the one cool thing about cutting your teeth at a small market is that you're going to learn how to do everything. You're going to learn how to cut commercials. You're going to learn how to board up. You're going to learn how to be on there and be tight with your transitions, especially if you're doing a remote break because your remote breaks, depending on your station, are cut maybe between a minute, two minutes apart, and your air check has to be super tight, like blah, blah, blah on K97.5, Thomas Hills out of Crabtree Valley Mall from the hours of 4 to 8. If he catches the bumper sticker on your ride, win $97 in cash. We got your request for your double play of New Edition to Bobby Brown and your chance to win but while the Superfest tickets be the 97 caller right here on WQOK, K97.5, and hit that post. Yeah, got to hit that post. And I was pretty good at it. Uh, a lot of it, it was just instinct and, and knowing having the gift of gab. I learned that from my godfather because, I mean, this guy uh, had a personality that was larger than life. And, you know, even when he was not on the radio anymore, he couldn't go nowhere without people. You know, they see him in his car, they holler, blowing a horn at him, you know, a lovable guy. I miss him. He was like the closest thing to a dad I had growing up. And, um, you know, it was important. He taught me all those things about hitting the post and uh, uh, knowing how to back sell a song, front sell you know, a song as well. Uh, those were things that were basic fundamental things that you had to do. You weren't talking over the song and you could, you knew exactly how much the instrumental was, how many seconds it was. You knew exactly what you need to say to get in, get out, bam, hit it. And I mean, I would cut, I would cut it so close so many times. Si would tell me the next day he's sitting in his office. He'd be like, I was going to do an air check with you today. He said, but after what I heard last night, uh, don't even worry about it. You know, because it was, and he came in the era too, where he understood the importance of uh, performing, but not only that, being a professional. Mm-hmm. And back when you were getting into radio, this was, I believe, during the time where you used to have to take an FCC test, because I talked to a lot of people who were in radio around that same era, and yes, they said yes, that this yes. test was only offered every so few times a year, and you had to get your license. At least three times that. a year. You had it, the test was only, uh, and it was done at a federal facility because, of course, FCC, Federal Communications Communications uh, Federal Communications Commission. Commission. Yes. Um, for me, when I found out, because, see, you got to remember, before I started working at the nonprofit when I was 14, when I turned 14, that Christmas, my mom said, what do you want? I said, I want a book to study for my radio, uh, my third class radio telephone license. She said, okay, that's all you want. I said, that's what I want. I got it. And I knew that the test was coming up in March. And I thought that it was going to be here in Raleigh at the courthouse, the federal courthouse downtown, uh, not too far from downtown. And I thought that, you know, um, I was going to be able to take it there and go just go downtown and take it myself. Well, I found out the closest place was West Salem. So I was walking around. Apparently, you know, your mother always pay attention to your moves and stuff and so. She wasn't, I wasn't doing a lot of talking. So she said, what's wrong, baby? She said, I said, mama, I said, well, the closest place to take the test is Winston-Salem. She said, we'll find out when it is and we'll go down there. And it happened to be on a Saturday. And I went down and I knew I wasn't going to have, if I failed it, I would have to wait another three months. So I studied like a madman. Um, and um, i never forget when it came in the mail, my mama said, I think you got something from the place. I opened it up and it was this green certificate. And it had on my, my name on there. I was just, there was a proud day for me. I had on that Thomas Hill, third class radio telephone license. Wow. Do you and, remember the uh, benchmark score that you had to hit in order to pass? Uh, you had to do 90%. You had to hit 90% to pass. Mm -hmm. It was no 71, no 80. You had, to hit, you had to almost be flawless because it, you know, it involved taking meter readings. And, you know, that was stuff that you couldn't afford to not know how to do. Uh, not know how to execute, and as a result of that, you know, uh, it, it, you know, you, you had to, in, in certain instances, you knew how, you had to uh, learn how to tune up the 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 the, uh, the uh, transmitter and do various modifications like that. With engineers would teach you basic stuff, so you need. That's why you had the license. So just like driving a car, it's like driving a car. You need to have a license back there. Uh, of course, they eradicated that, you know, but uh, I was 14. We're talking about 74, 73 when I took that test. Mm. And was it every so often that you had to get the license renewed or was it once you passed, it was Once you unlimited. passed, that was it. 
That was Once it. Once you passed, that was it. And was now, it. if you didn't pass on the first try, did they have a cap on how many times you could try for in a particular time period? Then you have to wait out before you can take it again? No, you didn't. It was never a cap when it came to that. You know, you just had to pass it and then pass it, you know, with, uh, with certainty. Uh, otherwise, they didn't have a thing about how many times you took the test. Uh, it was just that you had to pass the test. Mm-hmm. And most times when I had to do those kinds, of, I remember when I, I was, my friend of mine was a very good friend of mine, it's like my big brother, another friend of mine. And he was into A.L. Williams. And he said, in order for you to, to do what I want you to do in this, you got to get licenses and insurance. I don't like sales. I've never been a sales guy. Me neither. You know? uh, and so I, I don't like to participate in it, but I can sell. And so he said, well, you know, most people that take this test for the insurance uh, are going to have to take it. Uh, they have to take it about two or three times before they pass. And so I'm not taking it no two or three times. I'm passed the first time. He said, okay, well, I'm telling you, it's not that. It's very hard. I passed it the first time out. And he was like, because I don't like, if I get into something, I want to know it. And then, I, because I have a memory. I mean, I'm even though I'm getting a little bit older, my memory is not as good as it used to be. But uh, I, I like to be able to kind of identify and point out various things. And so the only way you can do that, you got to stay sharp. You got to stay on your game. And so, you know, um, you know, I was able to pass pass that test for insurance as well as my uh, radio, uh, third class radio telephone license. And it's something that I'm pr- very proud of to this day. Crazy. And for those of you that are thinking about radio sales, let me give you two words that will help you make those big commission checks. You ready for them? You ready for them? Car dealerships. I'll say it again. Car dealerships. And I'll also throw in a freebie for you. Nightclubs. If you could get nightclubs and car dealerships to advertise on your station consistently, you will bring home some nice, lovely commission checks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, when I was at QOK, there was a staff of guys. I've never worked with a group of guys like this in radio. Sales staff. They they worked hard, but they played harder. So you know, and they knew how they knew how to get out there. They knew how to. They had the gift of gab when it came to talking to these clients. And and then we had a product that was second to none. So uh, it was a great relationship. Right, and then also during you know the olden days in radio. We knew of some people who had some palms be greased. You had the indie promoters coming in, sliding in favors. Because I had one jock tell me that she was offered a mattress in order to play a certain record. And when I interviewed uh, Tom Moulton, he was telling me some DJs were given some booger sugar or nose candy, as they would call it, or other favors in order to get this record play and it was the name of the game back then you had to pay radio radio like i said there's a shift radio uh does not have the power now record companies have the power and so you know with you uh, you know having uh and i'm not you know i'm old school so i believe in uh uh progress but buying multiple stations and then you know uh having this one person represent all these markets to me is a total disservice to the community and I don't care who doesn't like it. You know, uh, I, I, I believe that, you know, uh, we had a voice when I was at QOK, we weren't all, all always on the air talking about black this, black that, but we set a standard of professionalism. And we, 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 we were people who cared about how we sounded, you know, what we were communicating to our audience. And even our counterparts had to respect it because they knew uh, that we didn't play around. We were serious. We, when we came in, we wanted to compete. You know, I came up in, in an era where, you know, the radio station across, across town was the enemy. It was not like, hey, you know, so-and-so, you worked that? No, my man, he worked that? No. When I get on tonight, I'm going to shut him down. And, uh, and, and, that's how, and, and that's how I programmed. I programmed the stations that I programmed down. I programmed several after I left QOK. Uh, programmed a few before that, uh, but I just I, I, I just believe that it's all about serving the community, and uh, and a lot of radio stations have gotten away from that. Now some some there still are some independently owned uh, stations across the country, and I'm I'm sure they're, they're great service to their community. I just wish we had more. 
That's just just my personal opinion. Yeah, and speaking of the enemy, was it because K97 was blowing out Foxy in the books that led them to switch to Urban AC and then grab the signal from Katy Country and go to Foxy 107, 104 to the current format where they are now? Well, you know, a combination of things. Uh, you know, QOK was like a transformer. He was like Optimus Prime. We were like Optimus Prime in the marketplace. Uh, when we came in, I mean, we we weren't playing. Uh, we were professional. We executed. Uh, you know, we forced a lot of people to do things in this marketplace they didn't want to do. Uh, people like G105, RL 101.5 FM. I mean, all these heritage stations that have been there for a long time to dominate the marketplace. We came in and we set the pace. As a matter of fact, I used to, we used to have a drop call. We set the pace, the others follow. And we forced G105 to start playing some of the stuff we played. We forced, uh, 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 RAL was playing uh, uh, what they call middle of the road music. Uh, they play a little, some of the R&B, a little bit of some of their stuff. Soft pop, soft rock, some rock, some hard rock. They were classic hits. Uh, but, you know, we came in, we didn't try to play a mixed bag of anything. We played good R&B music. And what I did is when I came in at night, I let Cy, uh, a midday guy, and Chris Connors do the damage. And it was like uh, a four by four. By the time they handed the baton to me, I just tried to crush everybody at night. And it got to the point where uh, I didn't know exactly how big it was because you have to understand this signal extended to eastern North Carolina, uh, to parts of uh, northern North Carolina, and some and some parts west and some parts uh, um, uh, down down uh, east and south. I mean, in North Carolina, and then uh, all of the southern part of Virginia. So. Uh, I had no clue how many people were listening until I went to an event up in Virginia and I had to do a remote there. And when I got there, I thought I was at the wrong place because it was cars everywhere. And uh, it was at a ladies um, clothing store. And uh, I pulled up in that van, man. I didn't think I was gonna get out, you know. Um, none of that stuff ever excited me as long as I could stand behind that microphone and be in the studio, I was good. Yeah, that but was good. I used to have a hard time getting me to do remotes. I was not a big remote guy. Yeah, I hated remotes as well. I'm more comfortable being in the studio doing your couple of weather air checks or here and there. And then the one thing that I found interesting about K97 from when I interviewed Cy was that they originally used the on-air imaging of K-Power and that he adopted the K-97 moniker from K-97 out of Memphis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See, uh, K-97-5 uh, was owned by U.S. Radio. U.S. Radio owned K-Power in Memphis. So that's how that went down. And and talk, and so I was talking back and forth to the program director down there at, at the, uh, Cape Hour in, in Memphis. And, you know, we had to learn how to create our own uh, lane as far as what K97 meant for this area. You know, we, we were hearing about Cape Power and all these other different things because, you know, that, that name was floating around a lot around that with a radio station that had a K in it, um, uh, especially if it ended with a K. Um, and, um, you know, uh, Cy was brave enough to step out on a limb, um, and give us another, a good positioning, uh, statement with, uh, the moniker for 97.5 and, and the rest is history. Right. And I told it to Cy, so I'm going to tell this to you. It's because of K97, I know Grace Jones pull up to my bumper because you guys will use that for your beds. Roadhog! Yeah, 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 they did. They did that. Uh, Sai would do that in the mornings, and Chris Collins would do it in the afternoons. Yeah, that's definitely legendary. Cause, like I said, every time I hear the instrumental to pull up to my bumper, I still do like a dummy air check, like I was on K ninety seven doing a weather or traffic break and uh, throwing it to um, Brian Stew. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, man. So that just shows a legacy that K97 still has in the community, but what you, Cy, Chris Connors, Wack Master Tory, Dr. John laid the foundation for what was to later come with your DVSs and your Brian Dawson's and everybody Absolutely. that came through Absolutely. those doors and um K97. Now Absolutely. another thing that I found interesting about the Quiet Storm is that what was heard on K97 necessarily would not have been heard on other stations in the country because I was listening to an air check from WZAK out of Cleveland and they called their Quiet Storm for lovers only just to hearing like the different names of pretty much the same thing and also the different regional variations of the records that would play. Like you would hear maybe a Midwestern that on primarily Midwestern R&B stations, but down South, you will hear like, hmm, this record only getting played down South. And if you're an artist in a record company, you're like, hey, let's go tour this region. We're going to make money in this region. I, uh, I didn't have any restrictions when it came to doing the Quiet Storm. Um, I was given full autonomy. Um, so I said, look, uh, I listened to you when you were at LLE. You had a great music taste. I'm going to turn you loose on this Quiet Storm. I said, are you sure you want, you want to do that? He said, yeah, I, I want to do that. So I had no law for the Quiet Storm. Every quiet storm that I did, I did th those were quiet storms that I created. Um, everything was contingent on how I felt that night. I had a lot of my personal records in the studio. I would play a lot of my personal records from certain albums and certain songs that people, uh, you know, I would play some D Train, uh, Oh How I Love You Girl. Uh, I mean, I would, I would come with some stuff and the phones would be so lit up and I wouldn't even ask the phones because I knew they would be like, okay, since you played that, you can play this right here. And then I would save that and savor it. And then I would ask the phones from time to time to get feedback from people. And then I would learn how to kind of uh, evaluate it from there. So I had, I, I never had uh, a playlist that I played from. Everything I played what from, I created each night that I was in there doing the quiet store. Mm. And this is back in the days when folks used to have their TDK Max sale on Memorex cassette tapes, popping in the component stereo, plus play and record, record the quiet storm, make sure you record when you got your dedication on, and then you would have that ID with that soft, smooth female voice with the storm in the background. WQOK South Boston, Raleigh Durham, K97.5. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the mood was set. Those were the days, man. Yeah. Those were the days. And the mood was definitely set. So do you have any shout-outs you want to give before we conclude? And before we go to shout-outs, I have to ask you this. Did you ever get a call on that little red phone in the studio? You know the little yeah, red oh, phone I'm talking oh, about. Oh, several, several times, several times. See, you have to understand, you know, being – when I got to QOK, one of the biggest issues I had was – I wasn't used to nobody telling me what to do. I was always doing what I wanted to do. And uh, I respected him tremendously, but you know, there were certain songs we had issues about that, um, that he felt were not appropriate to play. Uh, and me and Chris would always, we vibe the same way with certain songs. He'd tell Chris, don't play it. And especially if it was a soul song, I'd be like, well, man, that'd be a great song for the choir stone. And I'd play it and the phone would ring. And see, we had we didn't have a red phone. We had a light that was sitting right over uh, the, the, the 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 setup uh, where the mic was at, you know, the board and everything. And so it would blink. It was a white light, so you knew it was the, the studio phone. And uh, he would call. He said, "Thrill, what you doing?" I said, "I know." And then I, you know, I would cool out, you know. So everybody's everybody's got that call. You know, I got a lot of them when I was younger when I first got started in radio, when I started working overnight for a Christian station, this white guy just, re he just reamed me. He just didn't like me though, because he, he used to always pick at my voice and I found out that's eventually, that's what was going on. He was just jealous uh, of what I did. But, uh, you know, you know, radio is just so different now. And a lot of those lessons that I learned were, were great opportunities to grow and evolve. And I'm thankful for that. 
Right. Do you have any shout outs you want to give before we conclude this interview and also plug your social media where people can find you? Uh, go out and support uh, New Endeavor I'm in, uh, which is HSRN. You can find it online, www.hsrn.com. Uh, it, uh, it is a network that serves uh, the HBCU community. Uh, we focus mainly on historically black college sports. We cover the conferences, the MEAC, uh, CIAA, SIAC, and the SWAC. Of course, notable names like Jackson State, which is in the SWAC, uh, Texas Southern, uh, Prairie View, um, Alabama State, Alabama A&M, uh, then uh, conferences like the SIAC, uh, Tuskegee, uh, Clark, uh, so many other, and then you got the CIAA, of course, uh, Fayetteville State, Shaw, St. Aug, uh, Bowie State, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, that's the main thing I'm doing right now. If you can go and support that, it would be great. www.hsrn.com. Once again, www.hsrn.com. This interview can be heard on all major streaming platforms. Just type beyond the album cover and the video podcast will be available on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash J85. That's lowercase J85. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Thomas, the thrill hill on beyond the album cover of yours truly. Thomas, thank you so very much for doing this interview with me. It was a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. Now, I am curious to know this.